visit Cape and Cowell Comics at 1601 Clay Street in downtown Oakland, California, open every day, or online at capeandcowlcomics.com. Welcome to the Cape and Cowell Comics Podcast, where we talk comics and comics culture. I am Henry Liu, and today we are joined by a very special guest. His name is David Polka. David, how's it going? Good, how are you? Pretty good. David, uh, you are a local artist, is that correct? Yes, it is. All right, so let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, um, I'm originally from New Mexico. Uh, I grew up in southern New Mexico and went to school in Albuquerque. Lived there for a few more years after graduation and moved out here in 2011. Um, pretty much immediately jumped into the local art scene. Um, started doing a lot of murals. At the time, the art murmur was really gaining a lot of steam and crowds were getting a lot bigger. And so it was a great way to kind of introduce myself to the art community. And people were really awesome, really welcoming, and I got plugged in right away. Oh, that's great. And you and I first met at the East Bay Zine Fest in Berkeley. This is a few months ago. Um, I was just kind of curious, how did you um, end up having a table there, and um, where, where did that originate? Um, that was the, I believe, the third year that I've done the East Bay Zine okay. Fest. Uh, I first got into that kind of scene through the San Francisco Zine Fest, which I did about three years ago. Okay. Um, and I've always been interested in self-publishing. I've always been interested in um, collecting work in a much more affordable way and in a way that kind of shows a body of work. And zines mm -hmm. are just a really cool way to do that. Um, it's also such an interesting world because there's so many levels and so many um, kind of types of zines that people make. Yeah. Like it's an intersection of like independent comics, of artists, of tattoo artists, photographers, yeah. um, people who are more involved with social justice and political causes. Mm -hmm. So it's a really good cross section of people all kind of like yeah. showing off what they have. Yeah, I was surprised. Uh, that wasn't my first zine fest but I you know I'd been f to a few before but yeah I was I was kind of taken aback you know I my sort of perception of it was just kind of one of the things you mentioned independent comics so I that's how I kind of envisioned it you know and certainly there is that but a whole lot else too like mm -hmm. artists from all different walks of life and different backgrounds and different styles for sure and um yeah, I think, uh, you know, like on, on our show, we talk a lot about comic books and, you know, not just major publishers like DC and Marvel, um, but the whole zine scene is is, is a whole different sort of thing, right? Um, and it's kind of cool. It, it does, there is room for kind of everything. You know, you talked about political stuff and... Um, just across the board. You mentioned a lot of uh, tattoo artists uh, have tables there as well, right? Uh, well, I've seen a few um, mm -hmm. folks who I know do tattoos and, you know, they produce art as well. Mm -hmm. And they find it's a very good way to connect with more people, share their work. Um, cool. I, it's really just kind of like the ideal setting for the sort of multidisciplinary artist. Like if you're working in a bunch of different mediums and across or in several different worlds, it's a great place to be because you can connect with so many people. Great, great. Okay. Um, yeah, I thought maybe we'd talk a little bit more about you. Um, so 
You mentioned murals. That seems to be kind of your thing, right? I mean, if um, what is it that draws you to to doing murals as your sort of your main kind of expression um, in art? You know, I think it's a really great way to get art out of the sort of white box paradigm that you experience in gallery settings. Um, people who are outside of the art world don't feel very comfortable interacting with art or talking about art in a gallery. There's, mm -hmm. there's this air of elitism, the kind of ivory tower sort of vibe, and I think a lot of people aren't really comfortable speaking about the way they re respond and feel about art. And yeah. on the street, when you're doing murals, people have none of those reservations, mm. and they're really open about communicating what they see, what they think, what they feel about it. And so I think it's a really fantastic way to increase the dialogue about art. I also think it's a good kind of antithesis to just the pervasiveness of advertising. Mm. Um, it's really cool to have visual stimuli that has no... It's not trying to sell you anything. It's there yeah. to look good or to have a political message or something that is outside of this sort of advertising capitalist bombardment that we yeah. get. Yeah, yeah, cool. That's a great point about you know the the gallery opinion versus just the on the street opinion, right? Like I know there's something about just sitting, standing in a gallery and. And someone asking you, what do you think? And all of a sudden, there's this, you're compelled. It's like, oh, I better come up with something smart here, right? Yeah. But if you're just looking at some street art, yeah, there's something about it just like you don't have, people don't, ha don't have that same sort of approach. It's like, I, 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 can, I am free to sort of speak my mind and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever, whatever I truly feel, I, I'm not, I'm comfortable with to say, right? Yeah, the context matters a lot. I think people are intimidated by the nature of the gallery space, whereas yeah. art on the street is much more populist and it's just right there. Right, right. Yeah. And then you mentioned like the how it tends to be sort of free of um, like corporate ties and advertising, but it isn't there street art and murals that are tied to corporations and um, and advertising and that sort of thing? Absolutely. I mean, there's a lot of creative agencies and corporations that are commissioning muralists to paint yeah. work for them. And in some cases, that work is very much kind of aligned with the branding and the marketing scheme of that particular company. Um, but I think a lot of that depends on the context and who the artist is and who the corporation is. I think that there are some clients who are really interested in using creative capital in such a way that they position themselves as patrons of the arts mm. and they support arts projects and allow a wide range of creative freedom because they recognize that that reflects well on them. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. Whereas I think there are other clients who are much more interested in kind of leveraging art to further their branding or their mm -hmm. marketing. Um, right. And I think as an artist, really it's up to you to decide how you want to navigate that world and how you want to kind of change your practice or do things differently to deal with that. Like me personally, my studio work is much more uh, intensely emotional and personal and deals with a lot of themes that aren't very... Um, it's kind of a tough sell sometimes. Mm -hmm. um, whereas a lot of the mural stuff I'm doing is much more abstract, it's much more 
indirect in its references and the goal with that is to not alienate people is to try and bring as many people mm-hmm. in and you know it's a good bonus that it does fit in better in more corporate environments um, mm-hmm. but for the most part I haven't really felt like I've been forced to conform in a certain way in a lot of ways I look at these projects as like a fun assignment that kind of pushes me outside of my comfort zone because the studio work I've developed a style and I've really worked on it for many years and I'm very comfortable in that style, mm-hmm. but it's good to get pushed outside of your own box. Right. So. Yeah, cool. Um, I'm curious, too, about your your training. Like, mm-hmm. how did you learn to do what you do? Um, I've been sort of, I don't want to use the word groomed, but my parents mm-hmm. are both artists and were really supportive of my kind of impulses in that direction from mm-hmm. a very early age. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to do like summer art programs from the time I was like seven years old on. Oh, wow. And, you know, public school, there's not a lot in terms of art. Like my parents tried to get the most out of it that they could, but, you know, funding and priorities are such that in the public school system, art is at the very bottom of the totem pole. Um, but in spite of that, I was still able to like really get exposed to a lot of different mediums and practices. Um, I went to the University of New Mexico, um, got a BFA in studio art. The emphasis was on painting and drawing. Um, mm-hmm. And really, the mural practice didn't pick up for me until I moved out here. Um, mm-hmm. I used to write graffiti when I was younger, and so the kind of the idea of working big and a lot of the technical aspects of doing murals was already something that I knew about but I hadn't really worked in that capacity before and it was something that was really starting to pick up a lot of traction when I moved out here and people were like hey paint a mural it's like oh (laughs) never done this before but all right give it a try great okay so um you know uh, at the end we'll definitely um allow some time to talk about where people can check out your check your stuff out but Mm -hmm. yeah first off I want to say I love your stuff. It's Thanks. amazing, you know. Um, and there's a reason I invited you here at the at the Zine Fest. Um, I was struck right away by by your work, and I think it's awesome. Thanks. And um, so I'm curious about you know what sort of influences you have. It seems like there there seems to be uh, some themes of, of death and rebirth and. Um, some pretty out there stuff. Uh, so yeah, where did this where did this all come from? Would you say? Um, I'm really concerned with kind of exploring how memory and past experience sort of affects us in the present and in the future. Um, specifically, how we deal with traumatic experiences and the way that those can color the rest of our lives. Um, But I guess, like, if you want to go, like, way back, um, growing up Catholic, um, Mm -hmm. growing up being really into comic books and being really interested in just, like, gore and horror and anything that's really weird and out there. Yeah. I think, like, stuff that's sort of on the edges or the fringes has always been really interesting to me. And Mm -hmm. so I try to incorporate that into my work, but also try to kind of apply a very like polished sort of graphic sensibility to everything mm-hmm. um, and I think I can sort of attribute that a lot to the kind of aesthetics of like Native American and Hispanic art that I grew up mm-hmm. with in mm-hmm. New Mexico um, 
like simplicity and kind of ruggedness and bareness is very present there and like I try to channel that a lot in my work okay yeah are there specific artists or um, you mentioned comics any comic books or anything that has specifically informed your work yeah I, when I was about seven or eight I saw Akira for the first time uh, uh, the sci-fi channel used to show anime on Saturday mornings which doesn't seem that appropriate in retrospect <laughs> yeah. but it was a really mind-blowing experience and it kind of opened my eyes up to the whole world of anime and manga and like I can say that is probably the strongest influence um, I did enjoy a lot of Dark Horse comics when I was younger mm -hmm. um, was never particularly interested in the whole DC Marvel universe it just didn't really resonate with me mm -hmm. in quite the same way um, I think being exposed to anime so early it was just like well there's no going back like, yeah I think it's such a really amazing art form that kind of stands on its own independent of cinema and animated film um, mm -hmm. like it's totally unique and so that that I think is one of my most like prescient influences still okay yeah cool yeah you know one thing that I've always been interested about is the art in comics and manga it's it's art but it's it's different than than like for example what you do like is there I mean and some people look at at comic book art kind of like what we were talking about with street art like oh that's that's like low art and the, the gallery art that's like high art like I mean it's kind of silly but um, like what, what do you think about that discussion about um, a certain type of art say street art or comic book art versus the quote-unquote higher brow stuff that you might find in a gallery what, what, what are your thoughts on, on those differences well I think people always try to assert some sort of hierarchy over art and art practice yeah. whether it's like what you were talking about or you know older examples would be um, if you have female artists who are doing fiber arts or other modes of art making that are associated with craft it's very often written off as being low art or just mm -hmm. craft altogether yeah and so I think these hierarchies in a lot of ways are just a bunch of BS yeah. and like it's a way for people to kind of maintain this elitist world but you see the influence and how f the depth and breadth of that influence of all of these other kind of quote-unquote low art forms throughout mm -hmm. high art and yeah. you have for a long time I mean you know you can look at Warhol but it goes back even further to the Cubists and so people have always been I think kind of straddling that line um, for me again like being so influenced by stuff that is kind of on the fringes I'm often looking at the low art mm -hmm. um, but I do want to find a way for it to kind of exist in the high art world um, mm -hmm. because I think that can really really further your artistic vision to right, right. kind of play with the elitists a little bit yeah yeah can quote-unquote low art be sort of an entryway it's sort of like what you mentioned about some people are a bit are a bit uh, hesitant to, to comment about art in a gallery setting, but you know if they're on the street or if they're reading a comic book or something, they might be more open to discussing discussing this sort of thing. 
do you think there's there's some value there in, in terms of just the accessibility of it? Yeah, I think it's a great starting point. In a lot of ways, it speaks to how popular culture is something that is much more accessible and kind of reinforced rather than quote-unquote high culture. I mean, going back to the public school system, we're not taught how to speak about art. Yeah. Like, you barely get any art classes, and you definitely don't get any art theory or art history or anything like that. And so I think when you're dealing with art that is much more situated in a popular culture kind of context, it's a much easier entry point for people. Um, a great example is you look at uh, shows at Spoke Art in San Francisco. They do a lot of themed shows like... Mm you know, um, the Life Aquatic show or the Princess Mononoke show. Mm -hmm. And those bring out huge numbers of people because so many people really um, identify with these kind of pop culture figures or yeah. stories. And so I think it is a great way to get people into the gallery and to get them thinking about art in if, if they weren't doing that previously. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, nice. Um, you know, you mentioned uh, you're you're from New Mexico originally, right? So another thing that I've always been kind of interested in is just the different different local scenes. Like you mentioned when you uh, moved out to the Bay Area, um, you felt like you, f you fit in pretty much right away, and just it wasn't that it was a pretty smooth transition. It sounded like yeah, yeah definitely. So like. How would you, I mean, I, I've pretty much lived in the Bay Area my whole life. Are there sort of any di distinguishing characteristics of the art scene out here or just in general the Bay Area? Like what sort of things are, are unique and maybe what things maybe aren't so unique about it? I think it's really community driven. Um, and I think that's a, one of its biggest strengths. Um, it, there are, you see so many shows and so many art spaces um, and so many collectives of artists, um, people just all kind of working together, trying to uplift each other's styles rather than kind of this like doggy dog sort of mode. Um, it's also really interesting because I think there are a lot of different kind of layers. There's not just one monolithic Bay Area art community because there's so many different types of practice happening here. I mean, you have people who are working in a more science and tech oriented mode you have people who are doing large-scale industrial art. Um, you have people who are doing murals and who are kind of treading the line between graffiti and street art. Um, and then you have a lot of just kind of traditional painters, sculptors, who are working in studio doing that kind of classical mode of art making. But yeah, you have the whole spectrum here, and I think it's really, it's really interesting because within the larger context, there's a bunch of smaller kind of communities and little mm -hmm. subcultures happening. Right. Yeah. Oh, nice. And uh, going back to you again real quick, in terms of your, you becoming an artist, was there, were there certain moments that were like, moments in your life that you, you can kind of look back on, it's like, oh, that's when I kind of knew that this would be my path. Anything along those lines? Yeah, I mean, I think in the most kind of, most like, time, like most relevant sort of experience with that was probably my junior year in high school. Um, up until that point, I had kind of felt like I wanted to be a graphic designer. Um, mm -hmm. I was really into skateboarding and 
skateboarding graphics and I thought that was going to be like a good career path mm-hmm. um, and then my junior year for some reason it just sort of shifted where I was like you know what I'd much rather just do art like I feel like there is there's a place for me there there's something that I have to say and I feel like I have a lot of room to grow in that place and so by senior year in high school I could I really kind of dedicated myself to that kind of practice and that led to um the bfa okay yeah yeah nice and um yeah like going back to akira real quick Mm -hmm. i i love that movie too and uh are there are there certain aspects to to that anime film that that particularly resonated with you was it was it strictly aesthetically, like the look of it, or themes and the story of it? Like, what would you say kind of hit you the hardest? I mean, pretty much everything. Like, yeah. I think, yeah, the, the sort of dystopian future that it envisions, how incredibly detailed that world is, um, the way that it very clearly reflects all of the kind of complexity and contradictions of our political systems um, and the kind of inherent hypocrisy and instability of them Mm -hmm. Um, beyond that the kind of like deeper themes of just like human potential and evolution is really fascinating Um, and you know that kind of classic scene at the end the way kind of looking at how the human body can just sort of deconstruct itself yeah and really like looking at it in a much different way than I think I was used to that that was something that is still just kind of etched in my brain yeah that, and it and seems to reflect in your artwork some right because you talked about death and deconstruction and rebirth and we see a lot of those themes in that story as yeah well, right? absolutely yeah. and and really like sort of looking at the body as a kind of stage for this kind of action or drama to occur within. Mm-hmm. I'm really interested in sort of exploring internal space and representing that in a kind of quasi-abstract fashion. And I think I think the some of the imagery from that movie is really, really influential to me in that regard. Right on. Okay, so, you know, what I found in, you know, a lot of uh, comic book artists that I've admired throughout the years is that their their styles always change to a certain degree some more than others but I think certainly certainly the, the greats their styles always you look at the beginning of their career versus the end it's it can differ drastically you know um, is that something you're conscious of in your own work that like what I'm doing now could change or is changing is that something you think about absolutely uh, it's something that I've been tr- trying to remain pretty objective about and sort of like charting my progress as it occurs um, I think it's really helpful as any sort of creative person whether you're an artist musician designer whatever it is to go back and look back over your portfolio look back at old work sometimes it's really painful and you're just like oh my yeah. god I can't believe I did that <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think when you look at it in the big picture, it's really, it's really helpful, but it's also really affirming to see that kind of arc that your work develops along. Um, 
And yeah, I can definitely see a lot of difference um, five years ago, ten years ago, even a couple years ago. And it's it's exciting to see that it continually kind of evolves on its own. Like I don't feel like I constantly have to like reinvent myself. Mm-hmm. Um, so it happens pretty naturally, you yeah, would say? Yeah, it's you, definitely an organic process. You know, okay. new ideas and new influences just kind of bubble up. Because I'm always like looking for new visual stimuli. And so mm-hmm. I feel like you just kind of... That's a really important part of the process, I think, is constantly seeking things out and just kind of storing it away, digesting it for a while, and then seeing how it comes out in your work. Oh, that's interesting. So you mentioned you're always looking for visual stimuli. Like, what what sort of things are you looking at? Like, when I mentioned, when I asked about influence, I was just like, oh, that early in your life, but it sounds like this is presently, constantly always happening, yeah? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at other artists. I'm looking at uh, contemporary illustration. You know, a lot of stuff that's kind of more for um, more for like print sort of settings. It's commercial, mm-hmm. but yeah. I think there's a lot of people doing really, really interesting stuff. Um, really pushing kind of visual metaphor and using allegory in a cool way. And I like that because I'm really interested in telling stories with my work. Um, but also, you know, I've always been interested in tattoos and tattoo culture, tattoo art, um, exploring that kind of the traditional visual iconography that you see in tattoo flash designs. Um, and then exploring that even a little deeper, getting into stuff like Russian prison tattoos, which mm-hmm. are really amazing. Um, so yeah, it's really just kind of like constantly always looking, even just in my day to day when I'm moving throughout the environment, because yeah. there's so much going on. If you just kind of slow down a little bit, you can see a lot. And I, that kind of fuels me in a more kind of indirect way. Like okay. I have the, the influences that I'm really studying and then just kind of channeling daily experience as well. You mentioned Russian prison tattoos. Mm-hmm. What, what, what is, I haven't heard anything that is, is special or different from those versus other people's tattoos. Like, is there something unique about There's that? There's a complete you completely unique um, kind of visual vocabulary that goes with oh. it. Um, and a lot of this was born out of um, just a really repressive Soviet government. Lots and lots of people ended up in prison. And so this very kind of rich, um, rich kind of culture of tattoos and just like criminal culture developed in Russian prisons. And so the tattoos serve as a visual record of that. You know, there mm-hmm. are symbols for certain crimes you've committed or whether or not you're a communist. Um, and yeah, it's all very dark, it's very gory, it's very bleak, um, but it's really fascinating too. I think those types of folk art forms are really, really interesting to me. Um, things that kind of developed organically, that developed without the framework of the kind of classical art mm. education. Um, yeah. Awesome. And, um, you know, another thing that has always kind of interested me, especially in our modern world, is the advent of digital. You know, comic books are very often read on tablets and on computers now rather than in print. Um, a lot of artwork, same thing, you know. Some people uh, go to gallery shows or they check out murals on the street, but also they Google <laughs> and they look at stuff online. 
Um, what are your thoughts on on the experience of looking at art digitally versus like in person? Well, I think that kind of applies to everything. It's really amazing that you can access so many things, you can see so many things now, but I think the digital is just like ultimately a poor facsimile of the real thing. Mm-hmm. Um, at the same time, it's a really powerful tool to get people looking at art to make art more accessible. Um, but I, yeah, it's a tough line to walk. I can definitely see in myself the way that access to digital media has affected my own attention span. And where I'm, when I was younger, I was much more likely to read, to look at art books, to seek out magazines, comics, mm-hmm. etc. Then, like you said, now it's all just a Google away, and. I feel like I don't look as intently as I used to. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's it, it sort of lends itself to a much shorter attention span. And in a lot of ways, I'm kind of trying to reel that back in because yeah. you know, I also work as a graphic designer, and so it's a lot of screen time, and mm-hmm. you just kind of know how that affects your attention span. And it's, it's a different mode of working than, say, the kind of art practice that I do where I'm you know, sometimes staring at the same four square inches of a painting yeah. for three hours. Um, so just trying to trying to utilize it and um, utilize it without getting overwhelmed by it. I think that's okay. like the way to go. Yeah, that's interesting. It's probably something that a lot of people don't think about is that you're viewing all these images on your phone and whatnot and it, it affects the way you observe, right? All of a sudden... The, your attention span becomes much less and maybe you're just a little more anxious and wanting to get to the next thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. So would you say that that that's the main thing, that the, sort of the main detriment of looking at, like, let's say, one of your murals in person outside versus just, well, let me just uh, pull this up on my computer here. Like, is it sort of the what's happening sort of psychologically to the viewer or is there actually you know a, a, a specific experience you're getting you know outside on the street that you're not getting looking at the same image on a computer oh absolutely I mean yeah. in if we're talking about public art yeah seeing it where it's located and seeing how people interact with it seeing how it exists in architectural space and in relation to the rest of the city is so vital. I mean, a great example would be the Jet Martinez mural just up the street. Um, I think you know the one I'm talking about with the lilies on oh, the yeah. building. Yeah. You can see that from blocks away from multiple different angles. And the way that has altered that little section of the skyline is really profound. And I think you're never going to get that just from a photo. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. To be able to move around it in space and see how it exists there. You know, another example is looking at stuff in a gallery you just don't see so many of these details even with the zoom function on instagram you're not seeing the brush strokes you're not seeing evidence of the artist's hand in the same way that you would up in person um and i even kind of found myself in shows with artists that i like on instagram but then i'd see the work in person and it's a little disappointing oh really yeah (laughs) interesting yeah you know that tiny screen definitely hides a lot okay yeah so there's, okay, I mean, I'm, in terms of, of viewing art, I'm probably a, a big novice, but it sounds like there's there's certain things you can do, like 
um, like the angle that you're looking at that mm-hmm. can change your experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And um, so, okay, this is this is good information to have, you know. Um, but okay, very cool. Well, great. Um, like I said, I wanted to ha- have some time for you to talk a little bit about where people can can find your stuff. Uh, give you a little, a little plug here. Sure. Um, my website is davidpolka.com. Um, that has a portfolio of studio work, murals, installations that I've done, and a blog with fairly up-to-date news. Okay. I try and stay on that. Um, but my Instagram is really the kind of best place to see what's going on in the now, and mm-hmm. that is Slow Cool Assault. Um, okay. And, yeah, like... That, that's got work in progress and announcements about shows and print releases Great. and all kinds of good stuff. And you have a new exhibit coming out pretty soon, right? Yeah, I do. Um, it's called Architecture of Resilience, and it's opening at a really awesome DIY venue in downtown Oakland. Um, it's in the Cathedral Building, which is right where Broadway and Telegraph merge. There's a giant Zio Ziegler mural on the side, and it's a really cool apartment space that does art shows. So I'm really excited about that. Great. And when does that open? That opens April 29th. Okay. It's a Saturday. Awesome. Well, David, it's been great having you here. Thanks so much. And we can wrap up the episode. So this is Farewell from Henry and David.